But um, anybody here ever dealt with uh, labels? No, not the stick-on ones, of course, because those are easy to remove. <laughs> but some of the labels that have been put on your life, things that have been told to you, ways like unworthy, stupid, ugly, successful, criminal, not as good as your brother or sister, privileged. All of these can carry some pretty heavy burdens. And um, of all the things that I think, uh, when I talk with people, uh, you know, unless it was prolonged, horrible, actual abuse, most of us most of us really don't remember what it was like to get a spanking. I hope. <laughs> but many of us still carry the wounds from words. And every time we hear that word, that phrase, it takes us back. It's like a little dart in our, in our spirit that wounds us. And sometimes it wasn't even meant to hurt you, but the way you received it, however it was said, it, it hit you. And, um, and it can continue to do that. And especially now when social media, nobody even says it to your face. They just type it <laughs> or text it. And I find that many people today have a lot of boldness when they don't have to say things to people face-to-face because they know somebody won't pop them in the eye. (laughs) And they can rant and say all these horrible things. And we begin to label people. We begin to feel like maybe that's who we are. And you hear it enough, and pretty soon it, it can become an identity, and it can become a problem. Abandoned, destitute, unloved, barren, poverty, all kinds of labels that God never intended for us. God has a whole different idea about labels. And I want us to to check into that today because I believe we have to overcome evil with good. That's what the Bible says we're supposed to do. But that means we've got to accept the identity that Christ has bought for you. That means we have to go back to his word that tells us the truth about who we are and what he did for us and start there as a basis of truth, not how we feel or where we've been or what we've done because all of those things can carry labels whether they be good or bad. And sometimes the hardest labels to get over sometimes are the good labels, like, I'm successful. What do I need God for? I'm happy. What do I need God for? I'm doing fine. What do I need God for? And those labels can lead you to inherit judgment and the wrath of God. And those are, we think, well, those are good things. Not if it keeps you from God. But there's also a lot of hurt. And, and a lot of times, whether you want to accept or not, those things that were spoken to you are lies. 
And even if you were some of those things, maybe you were a criminal. Maybe you were a liar. Maybe, but now on the other side of salvation, you've got to understand that Jesus Christ canceled that debt. And you are now a new creature, a new creation in Jesus Christ. And you don't have to carry that anymore. You don't have to be that person anymore. He now says, hey, I've, I've cleared the slate. Who do you want to be in me? How do you want to be in me? And you get to start over. Now, it doesn't mean there wasn't consequences from your past life. I mean, that can follow us. But inside us, where it really counts, how you think of yourself should not be compared to the world or to somebody else, but to look at God's Word as the standard. And that means we need to surround ourselves with people and surround ourselves with God's Word that will uplift us instead of tearing us down. And this has been shared through, I don't know how many sermons, especially during, you know, when I was doing youth ministry, but the reality is we either have friends that tear us down and pull us away from God, or we have friends that push us up and make us better and push us towards God. And if you're hanging around with people, I know it sounds hard, well, that would be mean, but if you're hanging around with people that are pulling away from God, you need some new friends. You need some new friends. And sometimes we think, hey, I can do this. I can handle this. But if all your friends are a bunch of lunatic, loser, partiers that are pulling you down, you need some new friends. <laughs> if all your friends are all these ultra-religious, condemning, righteous, look-down-their-nose people at you, you need some new friends. <laughs> you need people that come around you, people that yes, they're going to speak into your life about, hey, you probably shouldn't be doing that, but at the same time, they're doing it out of love. <laughs> Trying to draw us closer to Jesus Christ. I want to share a story with you out of the book of Mark this morning. Second book in the, in the Gospels, New Testament, Mark chapter 2. It tells a great story of a, of a man that <laughs> carried a label, but he had some really great friends. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Jesus has come back to Capernaum, and the news that he was there was spreading, and so he decided he was going to be in a home, and it said the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room even outside the door. All these people wanted to see him, all these people wanted to hear him, and while he was preaching God's Word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, uh, if you've never looked into the culture or understand how it was in those days, understand that these were like the dregs of society. Anybody that was crippled, anybody that was disabled, especially from birth, they basically had to be beggars. And so they would just, their parents or whomever would get a little mat for them so they wouldn't have to lay on the hard ground, and they would just lay there and beg. <laughs> and so you think about somebody that's paralyzed, you view the whole world probably from the knees down. <laughs> and just like People of today, pretty soon you become invisible and people are just walking by. And maybe the casual person tosses you a coin or something, but you can't work and you can't eat. You're dependent on others. You can't even move. You can't even go home at night. <laughs> and so I'm sure he bore the labels of cripple, sinner, because a lot of the righteous people of the time thought, well, this wouldn't happen if you wouldn't have sinned. 
And Jesus tells another story about that. What happened? Was it his parents' fault or his fault that this happened to him? And he says, neither. These great friends come. Look what happens. They couldn't bring him to Jesus. They're like, we got to get you to Jesus because he's a guy that can fix this. But they couldn't because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and dug a hole through the roof above his head, and they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Now look at verse 5. This is what's amazing. This is why it's so important that we have those good friends that I was just talking about. Does your Bible said, seeing the man's faith... My Bible doesn't. You know what it said? Seeing their faith. Seeing the guy's faith that said, we've got to get him to Jesus. If we can just get him in there, he'll be healed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, look at the friends brought him, the friends lowered him down, they had the faith, and yet he says to the paralyzed man, look what he called him. Hey, cripple, get up. Nope. Did he talk to him like he was a disease? Did he talk to him like he was an interruption? Did he talk to him like he was unworthy? No, he didn't. And sometimes that's the pain of the labels as we begin to identify. And so maybe you've had a long-term disease, and now people, when they talk to you, they talk about that. And you become fibromyalgia. You become cancer. You become whatever the disease may be, but that is not you. That's not your identity. That's a disease that's happened to you. But look what he says. He says, my child. Look at that. Instant connection. You're my child. You're my son. We have relationship. I know you. And what's crazy is look what he says to him. Does he even speak to the paralysis? He deals with the real issue that's keeping this guy down. Whether he ever walks or not doesn't matter. What Jesus does is he deals with the important stuff first. Look what he says. Your sins are forgiven. Do you think that the friends came to get his sins forgiven? Do you think the man on the mat was even thinking about that. You know what he wanted? I want to walk. I want to run. I want to be normal. But Christ knows you'll never be normal until we take care of the inside before we deal with the outside. You won't be able to run or hop for joy when you're confronted with your sin on a daily basis. And it wasn't his sin that made him paralyzed. But it's the sin in our lives that keeps us separate from Christ. So let's talk about a few of these ways to overcome these labels. Some hard truths this morning. So number one, the longer you carry a label, the less it describes your past and the more it determines your future. If you're going to buy into being the loser, being the ugly, being the stupid, being the pretty, yeah, that was maybe your past, but guess what? That doesn't have to be your future. And you've got to be able to trust that Jesus Christ sees something in you and he paid the price for you so that you don't have to carry that into your future. See, that's the problem with a lot of our programs. And 
And those of you that have known my story, you've heard this before, but I had a problem with alcohol and anger. I was a kid that wasn't raised in church, so I didn't know how to deal with stuff. A kid that had been abused by a family member. You can carry all that into your future. And unfortunately for me, it all turned to anger, and the anger turned to drinking, and the drinking turned to fighting. And guess what? No matter how much you drink, the pain doesn't go away. You may pass out. But when you wake up, your reality is right there waiting for you again. So I was told I needed to go to AA, and I went to AA, and it's funny. Again, I, I believe some of these programs have, have a, a good process. But I find that most people that go to AA don't want to stop drinking. <laughs> like me. And no matter how many times you go to those things, it doesn't make you stop drinking. You have decisions to make. You have to make a decision. I didn't know I could make that decision. I didn't realize any of that. But I could have carried that into my future. But when I got saved, all the weight of all that mess, he didn't take everything. I'm still walking out of stuff I got to deal with. But you know what? On that day when I gave my heart and my life to Jesus Christ, the guilt, the shame, the anger, the pain flooded out of me. And I understood what it was to start over, to know that I didn't know anything I didn't even know this God that they were talking about in worship, or I didn't understand the books of the Bible that the pastor was talking about. I was just sitting there hoping against hope. But you know what? I had to make up my mind I wasn't going to go back to that. I wasn't going to be a victim. I wasn't going to be a drunk. I wasn't going to be that angry guy. And through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in me, my life began to change dramatically. Not just because Jesus took it all. I had to make decisions. And it sounds horrible, but I'll, I'll be authentic this morning. I believe that if my path wouldn't have changed, the news we saw this past week would have been me. That's how mad I was at the world. I knew I wanted to kill the family member that had hurt me. I wanted to get even with the people that had hurt me. But now, that thought of taking as many people with me is just transferred to the spiritual. And I want to make sure I take as many people with me when I go to meet Jesus Christ. And I'm now not perfect, not by any means, neither are you. But we have to partner with God to overcome those lies or they can come back. I don't believe that I'm immune, that I can just walk back into the bar and start drinking and it won't affect me. I know I can't do that.
or I may end up where I was before. But I have to determine I'm going to be who God says I can be. I wasn't born into a Christian family. I didn't have somebody say, hey, I think you should be a pastor like your dad. I didn't have that lineage. But I knew there was something in my heart that changed that I wanted to serve God for the rest of my life. And he planned a path that I couldn't have ever explained. And so I understand that story very well, that I was paralyzed by everything that I had done and all the mess and all the problems that had culminated in my life. I didn't know what to do or what to say or how to fix this. I was paralyzed. But in that moment, Jesus dealt with the thing that paralyzed me, and that was my sin. And it was uncomfortable because when I got saved, it was the old-fashioned actually confessing your sins. I didn't just sit in a seat. I ran to an altar and began to pour out my heart and try to remember everything I'd ever done. I was that dumb. I didn't know you didn't have to say every last sin. But I know that as I poured it out, he poured it in. My life changed. My life is not where it used to be. I look back on my high school friends, and it seems like they're right where they used to be. And I'm not. Secondly, the faith of those around you matter. This is why you need to have, whether it be a small group, good friends, people that are going to keep you anchored in the Word and also keep you from drifting off or, or being pulled away. You need somebody that is there to have faith around you. Your friends are either going to carry you towards Jesus or pull you away. What type of friends do you want? And the thing that is hurting most modern Christians is not that they hate God, but they're inconsistent with God away from God, with God away from God. They got one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and they're miserable, and they think that they're comfortable, and you're not. You're fooling yourself. You need to dump that old lifestyle and all the baggage that comes with it. And it doesn't just happen like that. But believe me, your old habits may catch up with you, and pretty soon you're a lot farther away than you think. And God is so good. He gave me such a clear image of this just the other day. I was driving down Ocean Beach Highway looking at the trees, and the first thing I thought was, you know, uh, John chapter 15 talks about staying connected. And for the first time ever, I don't know why I haven't seen this before. Maybe it's all this is old news to you. But did you ever notice that the strongest, thickest connection is closest to the trunk? That the limbs aren't thick at the end? The strongest part of the limb is the part that connects right to the trunk. The closer it is to the trunk, which is Jesus Christ, the stronger it is. And the farther away it gets, it gets thinner and thinner and thinner and very easy to bend and very easy to break. The farther you get away from the trunk, which is Christ. And it doesn't mean you're not connected, but I'll tell you, when something gives enough pressure out here, it can break you off. And when those friends are pulling on you and that addiction and that habit and that stuff is pulling on you, you've got two choices, move closer or get broke off. I hope that you move closer.
That gets to be your choice. Jesus paid the price for you to be able to move closer to Him every time you face that problem. Every time you see crazy stuff on the news, you can either feel like God's let you down or you can move closer. Your choice. But you need those friends that are going to be around you. Why? This next one, transformation rarely happens in isolation. You can fool yourself. You can tell yourself you're doing okay. You can justify things. You can rationalize things. But God says, that's not what I've done for you, and you can't rationalize this away. You're going back to the same habit. Proverbs says it's like a dog returning to its own vomit. I know that's not good stuff to talk about before lunch, but I mean, think about it. Some of us are in that process. We know what we're doing is wrong, and then we puke it up and finally get it out of our system. What happens? We come back to it, and that same thing that made us sick the last time, we eat it up again, and that's what's going to happen this time. We're going to throw it up again, and then we're going to... God has the power for us to stop that cycle. Receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for your pain, for your past, for all that stuff. Even the people that hurt you, you need a new mind. You need to pray, God, renew my mind so I'm not angry at those people, so I'm not offended, so I'm not hurt, so I'm not walking forward as a drunk. You see, that was the problem with AA. You stand up there every time and you say, I'm Tony and I'm an alcoholic. And no matter how long you've been in the program, that's what you say. Good evening, my name's Tony, and I'm an alcoholic. I can tell you I'm not an alcoholic. I have been delivered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not recovering. I'm not in remission. <laughs> and that's what's available. It's, mine is not a special story. This is the story of Jesus Christ that changes from dark to light. It's not about a program. It's definitely not about rehearsing your past. I'm an alcoholic. How many, if you say that every week? And that's what they, they want you to keep going. So every week you're going to stand up and say, I mean, wouldn't it have made sense for somebody to stand up and say, I'm changing. Hi, I'm Tony, and I'm changing. I'm not that man anymore. I mean, that'd be a great way to start it instead of, now, again, I know they want you to be up front because most people say, I don't have a problem. I can stop anytime I want. I just don't want to yet. It's the same with our sin. We think we can handle it. It's the deceptiveness of sin, but you can't handle it. It has you. You don't have it. And until you can really deal with that and say, Lord, I need your intervention. I need your mercy. Then it doesn't matter. You'll keep fooling yourself. And you'll be on the path that moves you thinner and thinner away from the power of Christ than getting closer and closer to the power of Christ. Last but not least on that, Jesus heals the source, not the symptoms. You see what happened? He didn't speak to the paralyzed stuff at all. He's like, I got that. That's the easy stuff. He did the same thing. He walked into Solomon's porch where it's just covered with all these invalid, horrible people that have been suffering and suffering. And so there's a man that had been crippled for 38 years. And you know what he asked the man? He didn't ask him how long he'd been here. Hey, how do you like your mat or what's the problem? He said, do you want to be made well? And the man's response is so interesting. 
You know what he says? He didn't say, sure, what can you do? He says, I can't. I have no one to help me. When the water stirs, no one's there to help me. Somebody always gets there first. And for some of you, that's your story. You keep wanting to change, but you think somebody's got to help you. Somebody has already helped you, and that person is Jesus Christ. You don't need another person. You don't need another plan. You don't need another preacher. You don't need another message. You just need to get clean with Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness. Receive the cleansing. Because every one of us have a sad story, and there's always a reason why this didn't happen, or I didn't do this, or I should have done that. There's always that story, but Jesus gets right to the root of the problem. Do you want to be made well? That's a question for you this morning. Do you want to be made new this morning? Do you want a new hope, a new identity? Do you want to put that stuff from the past in the suitcase finally, instead of dragging it with you every place you go? Great question. But he usually heals the source, not the symptoms. (laughs) Let me tell you what Jesus, as he inspired Paul to share something about labels. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 3 real quick. You see, in those days, because we're humans, we love to label stuff. And you saw the video, and, and even then, I mean, you think about, you know, you go into somebody that's an administrator or organized person, type A, uh, we have a tendency to label stuff, right? Measuring cups go here, glasses go here. Uh, and even if you don't have a physical label, we all know where all that stuff goes. Some of you are so administrative, you've even got a label on the label maker, right? <laughs> But in this class, in this time, it hasn't changed much because we as human beings categorize and label people very quickly. We do it at a glance. But in these days, there was Jews, there was Gentiles, there was men, there was women, there was Pharisees, there were Samaritans, There's all kinds of labels and everybody in between. And yet, Jesus comes on the scene and he inspires Paul to share this. Look what he says. Galatians chapter 3, he's speaking to the church that's going through the labeling problem. He says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. Now, that threw a big wrench in the works right there. What do you mean there's no longer a difference between Jews and Gentiles? I've lived my whole life growing up as a Jew. We kept all the laws. We did all the stuff. We went to the feast. We dressed a certain way. We walked a certain way. We talked a certain way. What do you mean that doesn't matter anymore? We've done everything that Moses told us to do, and now all these Gentiles that don't believe anything, they can just come in? Jesus said, yep. That blew them away. And notice he starts at one point trying to help them ease into this, but I'm sure it was a difficult thing. There's no longer slave or free. See, now the Jews knew both sides of this. They know what it was to be in bondage. But it's funny that many of the Jewish people had slaves as well. And he's like, you're both equal in my eyes. It's not about wealth. It's not about debt. It's not about who owns who. When I see you, 
I don't see that anymore. I don't see Jew or Gentile. I don't see slave or free. How about this next one? There's no hierarchy anymore. This rocked their world. This last one, somebody just set off a big firework right there in the church. I mean, this is a a culture of that time where if you had to protect your prized goat, the front goat (laughs) took precedence over the wife. The sons took precedence over the wife. She was just the keeper of the house, couldn't make decisions, had no voice, couldn't speak in church, couldn't even be educated in many cases. But look at what Christ says through Paul. I love you all. I paid for you all. I have a destiny for you all. There's something better than all these labels, something better than all this conflict, because that's the problem. The labels always bring conflict. People at this class shouldn't associate with people at that class. And Jesus said, you're all equal in my eyes. I paid for you all. And I don't care about how much you make or how much you don't make. I don't care about your heritage. All I care about is you and your relationship with me. Look what he says, verse 29. Now that you belong to Christ, if you've made that decision, you are the true children of Abraham. Remember, he's talking to people that figured, hey, since I'm Jew, I am a son of Abraham. I've got it. I'm ready to go. But if you've accepted Christ, you are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you, which is to prosper you, defend you, take care of you, and keep you, just like he did with Abraham. Now, think about that. That means that you and I, since we're not Jews, have the same right to Christ, the same right to eternity as those that can relate their their lineage all the way back to the 12 tribes. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty awesome. Let's talk a little bit more about overcoming labels here real quick. Number three, a label may describe you, but your identity in Christ defines you. How would you describe the person sitting next to you? Be nice. This is funny because, you know, in person we, you know, in a public venue we, we may struggle with this. If we had to turn and say, okay, I want you to tell the person next to them how you would describe them, you would probably tend to be kind. But we're not always kind. We find ourselves in that quandary of, of realizing that thing may describe me but it doesn't define me. I may have these symptoms. I may have these hang-ups, but that doesn't have to define me, who I am, but it may describe what's going on with me right now. God's Word says there's none of that stuff anymore. All those labels are gone. Mark chapter 2 even says, I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turned out, turned to the paralyzed man and said, I want you to stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. That's the end of that story. 
Now, what they didn't say, in, in, or I didn't share here, is that all the religious people got very upset at that story. As soon as he said, my son, your sins are forgiven, they said, who is this man that can forgive sins? What authority do you have? Why would you even touch this paralyzed guy? We don't even let him in the temple. And Jesus, as Jesus does so often, he says to them, you think that required power to say your sins are forgiven? Watch this. Take up your mat and walk home. And even then, they weren't satisfied. They should have been like, this is amazing. That poor guy, I've seen him every day on the street. He's been paralyzed. You know what they, what they saw? He did it on the Sabbath. You did it at the wrong time in the wrong place, pal. How dare you heal that guy on a Sunday? You see, that's the way. And those are the people that are not moving you towards Christ. Those are the people that are critiquing, condemning, and they always remind you of what you did. They're the nitpickers, the party poopers, whatever you want to call them. You stick around long enough, and guess what? You'll find them in church. Church is not a perfect place. You'll find some people that'll be nitpickers. But they have been bought by Jesus Christ just like you have. And we can either respond in kind or we move forward realizing, hey, how I used to be. And some of you, you've got friends. Friends you know, friends from high school. You grew up here. What happens if they stumble in here? Are they going to be that guy you used to know? Or are you going to be like, this is awesome what Jesus is doing in your life? Or criticizing all the mess that's happened through the years. Some of you are married to somebody that's not saved. Some of you are divorced. And is it all the critique of everything they did wrong? Or is it that they're a child of God bought with his blood? That's hard because relationships are complicated. Last on here. What the devil means for evil, God uses for good. Now hear me out. This is just, this is just me. I don't, other, than, other than a couple verses that, again, it may sound like manipulation, so I'm not even going to point to the Scripture. I'm just going to say how I feel about this. Since our business, after being saved, is to get other people saved, right? Our business, after getting saved, is to get other people saved, Right? Okay? For those of you that are new, just shake your head. That means you're going to pretend like the rest of us are. Okay? If that's our job, how does somebody that's never been through trouble minister to somebody that's been through trouble? You have no point of reference. If you've never lost a child, you have no ability to speak comfort efficiently to somebody that has lost a child. Did God want you to lose that child? No, but he'll use that hard time for good to speak into the life of somebody else. Somebody that's been divorced, if you've never, been, you've never even been married, how can you speak to somebody that's going through divorce? Or problems with children, or on and on and on. God allows the things that compact our lives and impact us, not to do us harm, but to use that to minister to the people around us so that even though the enemy meant it to tear us down, God says, I can use that for good in the future. 
If you'll just give that to me, I'll use that to help somebody else. You see, we want to be free from pain and free from problems and free from, but that makes us very boring and very out of touch. And that was one of the problems of, of church for so long is we just acted like everything was cool. We've never had any problems. Are you telling me that every person that went to church never had any problem with their kids, never had any problem with their marriage, never had any problem with their hang-ups, never had any problem with the Really? The problem was we just acted like it, and we felt so out of touch with the rest of the world. You guys have no idea. I think about my pastor that I served under. I, I consider him my pastor. He met his wife at church. Here's a man that was a businessman that had lived in the world. He'd seen it all, done it all, experienced it all, very worldly, and yet he realized that God was tugging on his heart, and he walked into a church, and he saw this beautiful young lady named Frances and was wowed by her, and they begin to start a relationship, and he would say something that would seem so normal to the rest of the world. He's like, can I come by and get you? We'll go watch a movie. And she said, I don't watch movies. Well, maybe we could go out for a drink. I don't drink. Well, what else don't you do? I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't cuss. I don't... There's a lady that was raised in the church that you stay away from everything. And his response was, you're not even real. They've been married a lot of years now. And if you've lived that great life where you haven't been exposed to all that mess, praise God. <laughs> you should be thanking God that he spared you from a lot of that mess. But those of us that have been through the works, don't be thankful for the mess and don't pray for extra mess. But realize that God will use that in the future so that when you see in somebody else what you know, I mean, think about that. If you've been through that mess, you see it in somebody else. You know the symptoms. You see the pain. You see the problems. And that's your opportunity instead of saying, well, too bad. Sucks to be you. It's your job. To say, hey, there's a way past this. There's a way to a new future. There's a way to step out of that box and into a new box called redeemed, saved, healed, free. Instead of those little boxes that have been labeled for us. My wife and I, we grew up in a small town. Just under 3,000 people. And when I got to high school... I met teachers that had taught my dad, which was semi-weird, but realized that they probably had an expectation. They'd also taught my older cousins that weren't some of the best people on the planet and probably had some expectations, whether good or bad. And we don't get to always know how those cards get dealt to us. But through Jesus Christ, we get to shuffle that deck and start over. And maybe that sounds all pie in the sky, and you're like, I'm not buying it. I'm just telling you, if you will really...
give Jesus your life, he'll really start making things new. <laughs> he'll really begin to scrub off the labels. He'll really give you a new heart and a mind of what's possible for you. God will use your past to change somebody else's future if we'll let him have the chance. And so you can either live in those days of being the victim and think of yourself, oh, poor me, why hasn't God fill in the blank? Or you can say, I'm moving past this, and this is going to be just a part in my resume that's going to help me help somebody else. I'm not going to go looking for trouble, but the trouble I've been in, it's going to help me be able to minister to those that are around me in these desperate times that we're in. Now, so we can remove all of our labels, and this is up to you this morning, whether you want to remove those labels or not. I want to remind you who you are in Christ, according to the Word. Here we go. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, you are a child of God. Just stop right there. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But because of his sacrifice, he died so that you could be his child. But, but wait, I, I, there's no buts, there's no waits, period. He died so that everyone could be a child of God. You have an open door into Christ this morning to say, I choose that. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter whether you liked it, no matter how long you did it, you can choose that open door to receive forgiveness from Jesus Christ today. He also says you're adopted as a son or a daughter with his pleasure. It pleasures him to adopt you. Say, I choose you. Isn't that amazing? He wants us. We don't have to go begging, please accept me. He's like the best thing that ever walked into the orphanage and picks out the ugly kid, me, and says, I want you. I'm paying for you. <laughs> That's crazy. Not because he has to, because he wanted to. He says that we are now full and complete, and we have power and authority, according to Colossians. He said that we're now united with him in spirit. He says we're no longer a slave to our sin or our past or our labels, but we've been remade. He says we are chosen, we are royal, we are holy, and we are God's special possession. Does that sound like a bad label to you? I mean, think about that. Because of what he did, not anything you can earn or anything you've done. He just says, because of me, you are holy, you are special, you are my special thing. He says that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I just want to be frank this morning. I'm good at that. That's my middle name, so I, I can be frank. I thought I understood this early on when I got saved, that when I got saved, the sin goes out and the Holy Spirit comes in. And that does happen. But how, humbling, amazing, semi-terrifying, that he would say, 
I'm going to take this messed up person. I'm going to pay for them. And then I'm going to take my precious, powerful, Holy Spirit. Have him live in me. So that I can walk a walk that's worthy of Jesus Christ. So I can experience the love and forgiveness and mercy and grace of an almighty Savior. So that I don't go back to thinking I have to earn something or deserve something or work towards something, but that Holy Spirit. I mean, think about that. He repeated that process. You read John? It said that the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. God's Word became flesh. He, he lived Jesus Christ to show what God was like because nobody had seen Him. And then when He left, He's like, I, I can't leave you alone. I'm sending you somebody else. I'm sending you a comforter. And He's going to do the same thing. He's going to dwell amongst you, but this time it's going to be in you. And God separates himself out into each one of us, knowing that we are faulty, fleshly, feeble people. And he does it anyway. And that verse just rocks me. And he didn't say, I'm filling this unclean thing with this pure water, hoping he's like, you're the temple. I mean, what comes to your mind when you think about temple? I think it's something that was built for a specific purpose, something that's beautiful, something that's structurally sound, something that points to God, right? Do you remember the old churches of the days that had a steeple that pointed towards God? He says, now I'm, I'm making you into that. And you may not be fully completed yet, but I'm making you into the temple of the Holy Spirit by design, by its structure, something beautiful, something strong, something that points to God. Romans tells us that we are more than conquerors. He says we'll face death almost every day, sometimes spiritually, sometimes physically. But he says in all of this, all the mess that we face in our lives, in all of this we are more than conquerors. He never promised us a free trip. He never said it was going to be easy. In fact, he said the opposite. You will have trouble. But in all of this, you'll be more than conquerors. And for those of you that have struggled with the label of how you look, how you were raised, your education, your outward appearance, Ephesians chapter 2 says that you are handcrafted by God for good works. You may have done some bad works, but now you've been handcrafted by God for good work. And He doesn't make junk. And He doesn't do things on accident. 